As we've gotten to know each other over the last few months, I've shared with some of you in the various Zoom meetings and different sorts of gatherings that we've had that I was baptized as a Presbyterian, but I grew up as an evangelical. And, and the evangelicalism that I grew up in, the most important question that we asked each other was, when were you saved? When were you saved? Now, for some of you, you might recognize that question. You might have been asked that question. And for others of you, that may seem a little strange thing to ask. So allow me to translate that particular Christianese dialect. When were you saved? Is a question of when did you become a Christian? What that meant for us was, when did you ask Jesus to be your personal Lord and Savior? And that happened when we prayed some version of what was known as the sinner's prayer. I know I'm giving you a lot of new vocab today. There won't be a quiz at the end of all of this. The sinner's prayer sounded something like this, that I repent of all of my sins and I believe that you, Jesus, are my personal Lord and Savior. And that was the moment that you became a Christian That was the most important moment in your entire life. Sure, you may have been involved in the church. You may have been baptized as a child, but that was the moment you became a Christian. That was the most important moment in your life. That was the moment you punched your ticket to heaven. And I grew up hearing a lot of stories with high drama of how people were saved. And these are all true stories that I heard. I had a friend who was in the midst of an overdose on drugs when he had an experience of Christ and he was saved. Or uh, people who had grown up with no sort of religion and no understanding of who Jesus was, no real understanding of the Bible, and yet they had this experience of Christ. Or, and this is a true story, someone who told me that he was saved through the TV ministry of Jimmy Swaggart. A reminder, he says, of how God uses us in spite of ourselves and not because of ourselves. And I'm not telling you all of this to discount anyone's experiences of Jesus or discredit how the Spirit of God might work in the life of somebody else. Sometimes the Spirit of God moves in ways that are those high drama kinds of moments. It happens in the Bible even. We read in the Gospels, Peter, James, and John out fishing and they leave behind their nets. They leave behind everything they've ever known and they go and they follow Jesus. The same thing happens to Matthew sitting at his toll booth collecting taxes. Jesus says, come follow me. And Matthew leaves all of that just sitting there and he goes and becomes a disciple of Jesus. Or Paul, who writes down these words this morning. He had his own dramatic conversion story that we can read in the book of Acts. That Paul was a notorious persecutor of the church in those earliest days. He actually oversaw the execution of the first martyr in church history, a man named Stephen. And then on the road to Damascus, on a mission to stop the church's message about Jesus, Paul suddenly has this vision of him and he is converted. Instead of becoming a persecutor of the church, he becomes one of the greatest messengers of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Someone we still read and who still informs what it means to be Christians today. So certainly that the spirit of God calls people in those big ways. And if you have those sort of high drama moments in your story, those should be celebrated. But I think for many of us, we don't have just one moment in time where we can point to the Spirit of God at work in our lives. That we have lots of moments where we can see that God's grace was at work in us. And as I get older and further along in my own faith journey, there are a lot of moments that I can point to 
where I experience the grace of God and the presence of Christ. There are lots of moments when I was so-called saved. One of those moments was when I was six years old. I was sitting at the dinner table and I wanted to know what it meant to follow Jesus. And so I got up from the table, went into the living room, and on my knees I prayed the sinner's prayer. I probably had very little concept of what that meant at six years old, but all I know is I wanted to, to follow Jesus, to be part of what he was doing in the world. I was saved when I was 14 years old and I was baptized, baptized a second time, by the way, because that was part of the theology of the church that I grew up in, that even if you were baptized as a child, you had to be rebaptized again as your own sort of decision. I might question that kind of theology now, but I can't deny the power of my experience, the power of being fully immersed in water that was way too cold, being baptized in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and then emerging in that feeling of new life. I was saved sometime during high school. I had a really difficult time in high school, felt a lot of loneliness and isolation. And I was saved when my youth pastor, seeing that, decided to stop by one day and to shoot baskets with me on my driveway. A reminder that we can be that sort of salvation for others, that God uses us in those moments. I was saved sometime during college. It's hard to know exactly when, as I went through my own theological transformation. There was that experience of God's presence as I questioned the only version of Christianity that I had really ever known. I was saved in the midst of my own serious questions, my own heartfelt searching, the the honest consideration of what it meant to follow Jesus apart from that Christianity that I was raised in. And I was saved as I discovered a Jesus who was far more gracious and loving and justice-oriented than I'd ever known. I was saved as I became part of a a sort of faith that was welcoming, inclusive, and grace-filled. I was saved in that process of deconstructing and reconstructing my faith. I was saved during those three years I spent as an Episcopalian immediately after college. I think the Episcopalians I've known might chuckle a little bit at the idea that I was saved as being part of their church. I was saved when I rejoined the Presbyterian church, the church that I was baptized in the first time. I often joke that most people rebel by leaving religion altogether, and I rebelled by rejoining the church that my family left. I was saved when I was in Philadelphia working among those who experienced homelessness connecting with their lives. I was saved not because I offered them anything, but because they offered me friendship and a place of welcome. When was I saved? It was all of those moments. And I continue to be saved as those experiences of God, that presence of Christ fills my life. What I've learned is that we are not saved just once, but it happens again and again. That even if we have those moments of high drama, those grand experiences of God, that God is still speaking to us. And it happens all along the way in our faith journeys. What I can point to are multiple times where I became a Christian. I can see several moments that are grace-filled and spirit-filled moments where God called me to a deeper understanding of what it meant to be a Christian. The decision to say yes to Jesus, the decision to follow his way in the world, that doesn't just happen once. It happens again and again. It happens day by day. It happens sometimes moment by moment. It's a journey that is always happening and a journey that is never complete. 
We have been discussing over the last several weeks what it means to be Easter people. And if you've been listening, you probably know it well by now, and you could probably repeat it back to me, that to be Easter people is to see the world not as it is, but as it could and should be. That we are people who are filled with a sense of hope and possibility. That we are, as Paul says, to take off the old self and to put on the new self. But I would think it would be a mistake for us to think that being Easter people is a static definition. That to be Easter people is a continual process of becoming. It is continually being filled with more and more hope. That our vision of the world as it could and should be grows and changes over time. That we become Easter people as we engage in our own transformation, our own earnest seeking of the way of Christ. That we are never complete and we are never finished. We are always growing and always changing. And it happens day by day and sometimes moment by moment. That God's grace and the presence of Christ is always ready to flood into our lives. One of my former pastors used to say that God loves us just as we are, but God loves us too much to let us stay that way. That we are loved and welcomed just as we are, but God also wants to help us to become that better version of ourselves, that selves that God sees in us, to become that new self. It happens, Paul says, as we learn Christ not as we learn things about Christ, not as we acquire more knowledge about him, but as we learn Christ, as we become more Christ-like. The new self is one that is transformed and conformed by his life. It's allowing ourselves to be shaped by him. It's constantly orienting and reorienting our lives around the things that he taught and the things that he did. Learning Christ is being drawn so much into his story that it becomes our own story. To be Easter people is that continual process of growing and becoming more and more Christ-like. The great American poet and author Maya Angelou was quoted as saying one time, I'm always amazed when people walk up to me and say, I'm a Christian. I think, already? You already got it? That's one of my favorite quotes of all time. Because the word Christian means little Christ. That we are always seeking to become Christians, little versions of Christ. And we are always in a constant state of learning what that means. That we are always in a process of, of arriving but never fully arriving. We are always trying to become that new self, that self that is defined and transformed by Christ. We are always in that process of becoming Easter people. I think about that question I was asked when I was a kid. When were you saved? And I am saved, we are saved, every time we clothe ourselves in the new self. It's whenever we can grow in Christ-likeness. It's whenever I can choose love in a world that is filled with so much hatred right now. That whenever the option is before us to choose between love and hate, if we choose love, then we are growing as Easter people. We are learning Christ. Over the last year of the pandemic and the sort of times where it has been crushing and its isolation, that feelings of of wanting things to return back to normal, that we grow as Easter people as we cling stubbornly to hope. Because that's what better way to embody Easter than to cling to hope, to believe that what is is not all that there will be, that there is a better future in front of us. 
We learn Christ when instead of holding on to hurt and pain and bitterness, we instead choose to forgive. And forgiveness is never easy. Sometimes forgiveness is a choice that we have to make moment by moment. In one moment, we may have let go of that pain, and the next we might realize we're still holding on to it. We become Easter people as we seek justice in the world. It's where we can grow in our own knowledge and education. It's where we can put aside apathy and indifference and instead engage in creating a better world all around us. Heather and I, when we are asked that question now, when were you saved, we answer, which time? Because that's a decision we make every day. It's a decision we make to follow Christ. I made a decision this morning to wake up and to follow Christ's way in the world. And with God's help, I seek to be that new self, that new self that is in all ways touched by love and grace and mercy and all of those good things of God. To be Easter people is to join in that journey of transformation, is to each day clothe ourselves in that new self. Mr. Rogers once said, discovering the truth about ourselves is a lifetime's work, but it is worth the effort. It's a lifetime of work, but it's worth the effort. The discovery of what it means to be Easter people is a lifetime of work. But I think it's worth the effort. It's worth the effort to allow God into our lives to transform us and to shape us, to help us to see the world not as it is, but as it could and should be. It's worth the effort to learn Christ, to grow in love and grace, forgiveness, justice, and hope. It's a lifetime of work, but it's worth the effort. Thanks be to God. Amen.